You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. We've got, uh, we're going to read about 23 verses here, so there's a lot here. I'm going to read out the Amplified a little wordier than the King James or some of the other modern translation versions, so bear with me. Verse 15, Samuel told Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now listen and heed the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have considered and will punish with punish what Amalek did to Israel and how he set himself against him in the way when Israel come out of Egypt. Verse 3, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman and infant and suckling and ox and sheep and camel and donkey. Before anybody gets nervous, I'm reading in the Old Testament, the law has passed away. We don't do these things anymore. Aren't you glad for grace? So Saul assembled the men and numbered them at at Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul warned the Canaanites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all of the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. Boy, I like all these mouthful words, don't you? Verse 7. Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah, such as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And though he utterly destroyed all the rest of the people with a sword, Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but all that was undesirable or worthless they destroyed utterly. And then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret making Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commands. And Samuel was grieved and angry with Saul, and he cried to the Lord all night. You ever had one of those moments when you were embittered in your spirit over the actions of someone, and it caused you to be unsettled and cry in the night? We're going to draw some spiritual applications from this story. Verse 12, And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, he was told, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up for himself a monument or a trophy of his victory, and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed what the Lord ordered. And Samuel said, What then means this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Do you notice the vernacular here? He didn't say the Lord my God. He said the Lord your God. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me tonight. Saul said to him, say on. Samuel said, when you were small in your own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but swooped down upon the plunder and did evil in the Lord's sight? And Saul said to Samuel, Yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag king of the of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. You see, in his mind, he was obedient. He just did it his way. But then when a person... Uh, doesn't take the Lord into their heart and into their life and keep the Lord on the, on the throne of their life, suddenly he becomes your God, not my God. Uh-oh, 
we're getting somewhere. I got to be careful. Verse 21. But the people took from the spoil sheep and oxen and the chief of things to be utterly destroyed to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. Verse 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices and in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as idolatry. And teraphim have rejected the word of the Lord. He also rejected you from being king. I'm going to stop right there. Father, we thank you for adding your anointing. Father, your word is always anointed. That's not an issue. But adding your anointing to the servant of the Lord, Father that what I'm about to share, that I will draw and divide rightly out of your word. Father, I take it serious what I share and what I preach because I'm here, Father, to instruct, to help, to encourage, and to cause these people to walk into the fullness of maturity. Help me, Father, to deliver your word. Precious Holy Spirit, speak what I did not put in these notes. Take out what's in these notes that should not be here. I want your word and your word alone. Because of this, Father, in trembling and fear, I stand before you as I stand behind this sacred desk. And I ask, Lord, help me now to rightly divide this message in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, amen. Amen. So I'm going to go as quickly as I can, but I've got a thing to say. Are you ready? Saul has sinned the sin of disobedience. Disobedience is an act of self-reliance. It's when you have confidence and exercise your own powers of judgment over the powers of judgment of God or what you know to be right, what you know to be the instruction of God. This is the sin that has led Saul into disobedience. And the reason he's in disobedience is because it all roots in becoming self Reliant. Self-reliant. Now, the world upholds self-reliance as though it is a good thing. And in some ways and in some factors, self-reliance is a good thing because sometimes you have to make decisions on what to do, where to go, how to go, what to, and, and how to execute what it is that you want to do. Sometimes the Lord leaves us up to our own judgment about certain issues in life. But when it comes to something that God has commanded by his word, self-reliance must take a back seat. Self-reliance must bow to the will of the king. Who could say amen to that? So Saul was too impatient to wait upon God in this situation. And he hearkened unto the Lord, the, the word of God, but, but not really. But he started so humble in this thing that he was hiding on the day that he was called out an anointed king. But now he's settled into the role, and now he's beginning to think, I'm king. And he's now defeated a mighty army, and he's got the spoils. And he's playing, if, if I can use that word, he's playing with the king of these people. He's, he's having fun. He's mocking him. He's enjoying that I defeated you. My armies have defeated your people. You're not such a great king after all. And so he's, he's playing around. He's dabbling with something that God has told him to leave alone. Oh, are you catching my drift? Mm. So Saul was too impatient to really do it God's way. And he was too impatient to really uh, uh, follow uh, the delegated authority, which is the word of Samuel. Rather you're, rather you're disobeying God in his, his natural authority in the word or in his delegated authority, his person and gifting that is being set over your life, you're being disobedient unto God. And so he's in a place of disobedience, and he's upset because he's agitated because things haven't exactly gone uh, the way that he thought they would go with Saul. And uh, so I want you to understand that even a king is subject to God. Slap your neighbor a high five and say, everyone is subject unto God. No one is to be self-reliant in the commands, the promises, or the purposes of God. 
And Saul violated God's command in his disobeying the command of God when he spared Agag and a few nobles and the best of their livestock. He was self-serving here, and this king who would be uh, this thinking that he was a greater king than King Agag, he's now playing with uh, this situation, and he's now having fun, and he's mocking, only to find out that you did not follow what I told you to follow, and now God is upset with him in his actions. The Lord had given him explicit instruction, destroy everyone and everything of this enemy. I'm going somewhere. If you're going to get free from an enemy who wages war against you and your members and your faculties, you must destroy it. I'm going to leave that hang in the air for just a minute. If you're going to get free from an enemy and the enemy's effect on your life, then you must destroy your enemy. This is a type and a shadow. As barbaric as it seems to us in our natural senses today, war has always been, and according to Jesus, war will always be until the prince of peace sets up his rule and reign. But there's one thing that I want you to understand. Although the world has natural wars, I'm not talking about a natural war today. I want to address a spiritual war. For the word tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of wickedness that hangs in the atmosphere around us. They are the influences that try to speak a word of influence into your inner consciousness and try to tempt you away from the word of God. I promise you Samuel got tempted away from God's word. God told him to go and he went. But when he got to looking around at how nice some of the things were that the enemy held, he thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep a little bit of that for myself. One of the most deadly things that happens in Christianity is when we don't rise up when there's a sin in our life and destroy it to the uttermost, but we decide to keep a little bit of the stuff that's appealing just a little bit close to us. We, uh, we, don't, uh, you know, we don't show it openly so much, but, but we kind of keep it in the background so we can play with it just a little. Oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I'm going to be bouncing in and out of this story, bringing you fast forward into our time and back into, into Samuel's day, so you bear with me. So how do we destroy that enemy? How do we do that? How do we stop playing around? How do we utterly destroy something that's trying to destroy us? Are you ready? By exercising the willpower to obey your Lord and your God alone. The message could end right there. You say, that's simple. Yes, it is. But it's a lot harder to carry out in the flesh. Who could say amen to that? So we have to exercise our willpower to obey God. And according to James, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse, we must resist the enemy. Now, when... Saul went out, he was resisting the enemy by taking the enemy out. And that's what this word resistance really gets to, and we'll define it here in a moment. But where it's really going is we must resist to the point that it takes our enemy out. I'm preaching better than your amen. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, according to James, the fourth chapter, and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice first you must submit. That word submit means to accept or yield to a superior force. I got to say it again. I just liked it so much, I'll do it again. Accept or yield to a superior force or the authority or will of another person. How many thinks that God's will counts more than your will? How many thinks God's plan is a better plan than your plan? How many understand that if God says no to something, he, the reason he says no to it is to help you? 
not destroy you. No, he's trying to revive you. He's trying to heal you. He's trying to rescue you. He's trying to snatch you out of something that will destroy you. And he gave Saul the power to destroy his enemy, but Saul decided, rather it was really the coercion of other people or just his own idea, by this time he's already telling Samuel, listen, I know your God's not real happy with me. It went from being his God to your God. I, I'm not sure I want to hear what your God has to say. Why? Because I'm dabbling. Oh, my word. Terry, I'm going to throw the mic to you. You may have to finish. I'm going to run around the building. I can feel it in me. This word submit means to give in. To back down. To bow. Here's something you don't even want to hear. To cave in. It means to capitulate. That's a big fancy word for give up. Relent. Defer. To agree. To consent. To exceed. To conform. To acquiesce. Or to comply. Or to accept. It means to be subject to a particular process. To be subject to a particular process. Something that will treat the condition. Something that will treat the condition. God has a process in which to destroy the thing that is trying to destroy you. Golly, I could run at that. God has a process in which to destroy the thing that is destroying you. And if you'll submit to the process. What, what's wrong with the church? We forget sometimes that we're submitting to the process. And we get to believing our own press because we did something. The Lord put his blessing on it and we think we did it. Saul's, he's, he's can I do it? Some of you young folks, you won't get this at all. But all of you who have hair the color of mine are going to get this. Back in the day, there was a show. And there was a little character, African-American gentleman. His name was George Jefferson. And he was a self-made millionaire, right? Started from the ground up, made it. And his whole life was just this, for the lack of better words, this arrogant little strut and they had that little song at the beginning of the show that opened up said we're moving on up moving on up now there's nothing wrong when God gives you uh what do I want to say a promotion when God gives you a promotion it's good to move on up come on up come on up to the top rejoice in it have a party have fun let the and, but don't say I did when you get to the top of the party of your promotion, you let everybody know, trumpet loud, the name of the Lord. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. I don't know if you understand this or not, but just in a couple of months, we're going to be across the road going, look what the Lord has done. Mm -hmm. And we'll be moving on up. But in this case, Saul is acting more like George Jefferson, the self-made man. <laughs> and God has this way to destroy the thing that is destroying you. But it never comes out of your own self-adulation. That's a fancy word for promoting yourself. It doesn't come out of self-adulation. It comes when God promotes you. When God pulls you higher. And he'll pull you higher because the more you bow to his will and his way, the higher you go. If you want to be successful in God, in any, I mean any area of life, do it God's way. If you'll do it God's way and submit to God's word, there's nothing that shall be impossible to you. But if you begin to look at yourself which is the original sin that started with Lucifer who channeled the praise of God through him and he got to looking at his, his jeweled uh, uh, elegance and he got to hearing the words of praise and began to believe that 
Those words should be coming to him, not going through him to a God, but coming to him. And Saul is lining up with the original sin here because he's saying, he's saying, you know what? I'm a pretty good king. I, I took them out. And so I'm just going to keep a little something over here on the side that I can have some fun with. Mm. God's process is to destroy the thing that is destroying you. And how do you do it? Number one, the number one thing, submit to God. You have to wage war. In the enemy's presence. And how do you wage war when the enemy is bearing down on you and everything inside of you is screaming, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, defy God, go ahead, do it your way. Really, you know you don't need God. It's the same thing that Eve wrestled with in the garden. Oh, really, did God say? Oh, really? Well, go ahead and try it and see. Just go ahead and try and see. The moment that Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they realized there was a nakedness. They realized something fell off their life. They realized they were in trouble. They realized that something wasn't right. Their covering was gone. If you're going to dabble and play, I want you to understand that you'll pull yourself out from underneath the covering of God. If you fight him, uh, you will find yourself uh, like a man on an island. Not that God will ever leave you nor forsake you, but he will not uh, add his blessing to your dabbling. And so everything you're doing while you're dabbling is self-adulation. Self it, is, it is a place of self-reliance because you have now put yourself on the throne of your life and said, God, I know better than you in this region. I know you said destroy them, but you didn't see all these sheep and these oxen, and you didn't, you didn't destroy the enemy with your hands. I did, so I've got a right to a little something, something over here. Wow, I'm having fun already. Look at this. Even, let me, let me, let me back up. You must bow in humility and obedience to his authority, even when that authority is being represented in God's called and anointed representatives of his kingdom. In Saul's case, it would have been Samuel. Oftentimes, people will defy the man of God because they don't realize when, they, when they're defying me, they think they're just defying the man of God's words. But they don't realize that all of heaven backs the man of God's words because the man of God doesn't come with his own words and his own instruction. He comes with the instruction of the Lord. And when we don't bow to the delegated authority or the word that comes from him, it's the same as if we're not bowing to God himself. So in this case, Saul's thinking, I'm as anointed as you, Samuel. I'm the one was anointed king. You're just God's spokesman, but I'm God's king. But even kings are subject to God. Even kings are subject to God. Is this working for you so far this morning? I'm trying to help you. So look at this. Saul was anointed king but not priest. <laughs> and in this act of disobedience and self-reliance, it caused God to relent his appointment of Saul as king. One thing I don't ever want to do is put God in the position where God's like, I'm, I wish I hadn't called him. Think about that. There are people who represent the kingdom and use the name of the Lord while dabbling with a little something-something on the side, playing around here, playing around there, constantly having a little something going on. And they drag the name of the Lord into all kinds of sinful things and attach his name to their actions. And in that situation, they cause God grief or the man of God grief. First, God was upset. God told Samuel, and then Samuel was upset. And Samuel began to pray all night for Saul. His heart was broken. Some of the most agonizing moments of my life in ministry have been spent over those I know who know the truth, love the Lord, are serving the Lord, but dabbling. 
playing with a little something-something, knowing that that fire is burning them and hurting them and destroying their life, but even more, it's destroying the heart of God, hurting Him, breaking His heart, breaking His spirit. Not that you could ever destroy God, but to just know that I grieved Him, but even for a moment, makes me fear and tremble. I'm not here to beat up on anyone. Oh, no, 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 no. I feel like, like Paul sometimes. Oh, wretched man that I am. Because so often my intention is to do right, and I catch myself doing something that's slightly off-key, off-kelter. How many have ever been there? Don't raise your hand. Samuel was grieved at Saul's actions because it hurt God and weakened God's image with the people. Ladies and gentlemen, we represent the kingdom of God. And the world looks to us. They read us as their Bible. They don't read the Bible. They read you. That's why Paul said, I'm a living epistle. I'm the letter of God. Read me. Read my actions. Read what I, not, not just what I say, what I do. Watch my life. How many times did he tell people, I imitate God, you imitate me? And so Samuel is broken up. He's weeping bitterly over Saul's lack of repentance. Even when he comes to Saul, Saul goes, well, I'm sorry I disappointed your God. He sinned and acted as if it was no big deal. I've confronted people in the past and dealt with things for people in the past, trying to help them with a heart of, of purity, and they act as if, it's okay, God and I got this going on. They have a Tom T. Hall relationship with Jesus. Now, only country music fans from way back in the day will understand what I'm talking about, but he was a country singer, and he had a song called, Me and Jesus, We Got Our Own Thing Going. Well, excuse me, Jesus doesn't do your thing. God doesn't do your thing. You do God's thing because he rescued you and he bought you with a price and he paid the ultimate price for you. And so you and Jesus ain't got nothing going on. Jesus and you got something going on. Mm. But he acted like it was no big deal. And in verse 12, Saul, in arrogance, as though by his own power and military might, had single-handedly destroyed the Amalekites, which he let some escape and live only to have to deal with them for generations and generations and generations did Israel fight over and over and over with the Amalekites because one man was disobedient and allowed the dabbling to continue. And here's the worst part. He erected a monument to himself to commemorate his victory. Jeff, you and I have seen this in ministry. We get in that thing where we had 500 seats at our... Of course, we didn't tell that, that 499 of them were empty in our meeting. We're always trying to build a monument in ministry. Oh, our church is bigger. Our church is better. Our choir. Oh, our worship team. We're always trying to make it look like Ain't nobody going to get saved in any other church but here. No, 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 no. That's self-reliant self-adulation. The kingdom is the kingdom. It's the believers united. And God's trying to build a kingdom, not a church, not a singular church. God's trying to build a kingdom. God's trying to build a people. So look at this. He erected a monument to himself to commemorate his victory. Now, fast forward with me. The only victories that we have are in God. When I give an altar call and a sinner runs up here, it isn't because of how eloquently I, I gave the message. Because I've seen people get up here who couldn't put two words together and the anointing fall and overtake the house. It's because God represents and backs the delegated authority of the moment. And the hour. And then 
Thank you. I'm Pastor Hardy, the one that got you to the altar who got you saved. No, no, no. It's my moment to back up and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be used. But, but for a moment, thank you for using me. If it was just for this brief moment that that one soul would find you as Lord and Savior. But all the glory belongs to you. I'll build no monuments. It's not about how wonderful I am. It's about how wonderful you are. Look at this. So through Christ Jesus, we are made more than conquerors. Not anything in this life can a man most about, boast about in Jesus. Who, who could say amen to that? Every person I've ever helped with the, with the addiction of sin, every person that I've ever helped with the addiction of sin, teetered on whether they would stay in that walk with God. There comes a defining moment when you have to either be all in or all out. Because the thing God despises the most is the devil. Because you taint his name. You taint the kingdom. You taint everyone who's following you. You taint everyone around you. You taint the body of Christ when you're doing a little something-something. Now, I'm not talking about the fact that God doesn't have grace. God has grace through Jesus Christ to rescue us. But God wants that rescue to be complete. He wants it to be a full and whole deliverance. Not for us to go on living for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years dabbling and playing until we muddy the waters to the point that people don't know if we're sincere or not sincere. The biggest complaint you hear about the church of Jesus Christ is it's full of hypocrites. Amen, amen, amen. Yes. But thank God we're in the house of God and we can run to him. But if we're muddying the waters, the world will never want to come in here. That's why Jesus said, go into the highways and the byways and compel them. Because the church of the day at that moment couldn't bring people in because they were so muddy in the waters with their political agendas with Rome. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but stay with me. And we're no different today. If we dabble and we play and we try to appease the flesh and the desires of men, we're dabbling. When God has called the church to come out from among them and be ye separate, who could say amen to that? I'm almost through. So what was the original sin? Of course, we talked about this just a moment ago. With Adam, it happened in the garden, disobedience through self-reliance. And every person, every person that we've helped did well. Every person that I ever crawled underneath a bridge did well. Every person that I ever prayed for at the altar did well. Every person that I have ever sat for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in counseling trying to help them with the issues of their life did well as long as they were submitted to the authority, the word, and the will of God. Hmm. But outside of that, the moment they took their eyes off of God, his will, his word, and his authority, they become self-reliant. Then the addiction of disobedience once again lifts its ugly head. I've had people who've served God and walked away from an addiction in their life, and they'd be there for a year and do well. Well, you just know in your heart, woohoo! And I learned one thing, don't make a trophy out of anybody. Because we're all subject to temptation, and all of us are going to get tempted to dabble. A temp, templed, tempted to dabble. Could be a temple of dabble. We're all tempted to do it. Every one of us. Every, every, every. From the youngest to the oldest in this room, we're all tempted to dabble in some form or fashion, even if it's just in attitudes. But we have to live a life of submission. Who could say amen to that? So when God gave the order to destroy the enemy, it wasn't up for debate with Saul. This wasn't an either or, check yes or no. This wasn't a popularity contest, and this wasn't trying to win a girlfriend. Check yes or no, do you like me? No, 
This was not up for debate. When God says destroy your enemy, he means destroy your enemy. It wasn't up for debate, and it wasn't for the preservation of the good that Saul could use for his own purposes. Nothing good comes from a spirit of disobedience. And God sent Saul to destroy his enemy, not to wound him. God doesn't send you into the battle to wound your enemy and walk away and feel good about it. He sends you in to utterly destroy your enemy. Not to play around with the parts that are pleasing to you. He instructed him to destroy. Turn to your neighbor and say, destroy it. So Saul threw up the argument, well, I saved the good stuff to sacrifice later to God. I've literally stood with people and had them, when, when issues are confronted, actually him haw not sure they want to let go. On many occasions, I would never single anyone out. I'm just here to tell you, I've talked with people, and they're not sure because they kind of like what they've saved. They kind of like and go, well, one day me and the Lord will get this right, but right now, is this too hard? All right. And then when that didn't work and that didn't appease Samuel, when when. He gave it, he threw God back to him. Well, I'm sorry, I disappointed your God. Then Saul comes up with the excuse in verse 22. He says, well, it was the people. The people made me do this. It was the people. Hmm. Anytime a person is unrepentant about their sin and their role in that sin, the shift blames to others. Always. And sometimes they shift that blame to God. How many remember Adam? Well, it was that woman you gave me. No, it's because you didn't have enough willpower to stand up and execute the authority that you had in this situation. And we all get trapped because we don't use our authority in God to destroy what it is that's come against us. And we'll secretly slink off into a closet somewhere and we'll do a little something, something, and walk out, and no one on the outside knows what's happened, and you think you got away with it until God gets disappointed and sends the man of God your way. Verse 22, uh, it, it is the disobedience. I'll get it out here. Disobedience is disobedience. Disobedience is disobedience. And God never winks at or rewards disobedience of any kind in any way. You say, you're drawing a really hard line. Yes, I do. What about grace? Grace is up to Christ. Come on. We've gotten so grace-minded that we let people get away with sin and invite them in and invite them into the church and then put them on the platform and muddy up the waters for the entire congregation. That's got to stop. That is stopping, and it will not happen under my guard. For we Now, I'm all about restoring a brother. I'm all about helping someone. I'm all about lifting someone up and loving them back to health. But I'm going to tell you the truth. If you're going to muddy the waters here, and I... And the Lord, once the Lord lets me in on it, I'm coming to you and we're going to have a conversation about the situation and you're going to have the opportunity to repent and to run into God or you're going to come underneath some kind of correction. Do you still love me? Verse 23. The reason he doesn't, he doesn't uh, uh, wink at our disobedience because disobedience is rooted in rebellion. And rebellion, according to the word of God, is a stiff-necked reliance. And it leads to intentional sin, of which Samuel coined the phrase, obedience is better than sacrifice. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were made to appease God and to cover sin for forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
But much better, it's much better to not sin at all than to have no need and have no need for cover or to plead for forgiveness. In other words, God not only covers our sin, but wouldn't it just be better if we didn't give him anything he had to cover anyway? If Saul had just done what God told him to do, there'd be nothing to cover. There'd be no need for a sacrifice, and there'd be no need to be standing in this position of, oh God, here I am again. Do you ever get tired of being in the position of, oh, here I am again, God? Have you ever had an issue in your life and it just took you forever? You ever rounded the mountain? There's so many word pictures in the Old Testament. Forty years the children of Israel walked around waiting on their promise. Why? Because they relied on themselves, their own power, and forgot about the God who could deliver them. Saul lost his rights to the kingdom, and Saul lived in torment. And Saul died in defeat. And when his self-reliant rule cost him his right to rule, his ability to lead, and the casualty and loss of his son in battle, Saul took his own life as a man destroyed. Saul took his own life because he realized by doing it his way, it cuts God out and takes the victory from your life. Hmm. By self-reliance, he was eat up with the torment of his own sin. But we have an advocate with the Father, ladies and gentlemen. You thought this was never going to get positive. We have an advocate with the Father to run to when we need deliverance. He's already made the sacrifice. We don't have to wait like Saul did for Samuel to arrive on the scene. He's already won the battle. He's already destroyed the enemy. Do you realize that everything you fight with is already destroyed on the cross of Calvary? The enemy's just hanging around in a residual effect to just see if he can trip you up. But the actual sin was already destroyed. All we got to do is get underneath the covering of Christ. Get under him completely and allow him to be God who can say amen to that. So look at this. He's already won the battle. He's already destroyed the enemy. And all you need for complete victory is submission and resistance. That brings me to point two. To submit is to bow to God's way, but resistance is the refusal to accept or to comply with something by action or argument. The ability to not be affected by something, especially if it's adverse. Let me say that again. Resistance is the refusal to accept God's given us the victory plan. Submit, bow, duck, cave in to God's will. Acquiesce for you who are fancy. Acquiesce for those of you school teachers. But for us plain folk, it just means duck. Fall before him. Fall before his way. Fall before his word. Fall before his will. And then when something tries to pull you contrary to what you know is right, you go, oh, no. Oh, no, you don't. Not here. Not now. Not ever. Oh, no, you don't. Not here. Not now. Not ever. Everybody help me say it. Oh, no, you don't. Not here. Not now. Not ever. If this says don't do it, don't do it. If this says don't get into that situation and compromise, don't. And if you find yourself in a compromised situation today, this message was not meant to condemn, but to warn, to help, to help you understand 
it don't have to be like this, playing around with a little something, something. It don't have to be like that. The enemy gets us trapped in that, shoves us in a closet, and expects us to stay there because we want to hide from the shame of what it is other people don't know. And the devil's always threatening, if they only knew, they'll reject you. If they only knew, they won't love you. If they only knew, they're going to shove you down the sidewalk. If they only knew. So then you keep the door shut. And you come outside of the closet to have your life, but then you come home and you open up the closet and get back in. And then you come out for your everyday thing, but then you go home and you get back in your closet. Oh, and then say, God bless me. When we come outside of the closet, everybody thinks everything's going good, but you come home and you're riddled with shame. Your heart is ripped out from the shame. Because there's an enemy in your closet going, oh, get in here. This is safe. Come on in. It's safe in here. And in the darkness of the closet, you hear, don't let anyone know. Hey, why don't you do that one thing? <laughs> you know, it's fun. It gets your adrenaline pumping. Makes your heart palpitate. Try it. Try it. Do it again. And then when you touch that thing, even but for a split second, he goes, you lousy, no good, rotten thing. Can you believe you did that? That is nasty. You are gross. You are unacceptable. And Saul wasn't fit to be king because he wouldn't let go of the little something-something going on. That's why God had to find a man after his own heart who, quite honestly, if you study history, made far more mistakes than Saul ever did. But it was a heart issue. Saul saw God as Samuel's God. David saw him as mine. I don't want to... Never please you. I don't want to compromise your name. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to put you into a questionable light. I want to always sing your praise. If you send me into battle, I'll go into the battle singing your praise. When David took out Goliath, he wouldn't even acknowledge Goliath by his name. And everybody knew his name. He kept calling him the uncircumcised Philistine. You uncircumcised Philistine. Why? Because he knew who was on the right side of the covenant with God. And he knew he had a right in the righteousness of God to come against that enemy. And no matter how big that enemy was, that enemy would not stand as long as he was in covenant with his God. It was the moment that you step out of covenant that messes are made. And David learned that lesson too. I've got to finish here because I've held you way too long. But this, this is a season of no more games. This is a season of right heart, right spirit. Renewed in God. This is a season where we quit muddying the waters and the waters become fresh and clean and clear for the world to drink from. This is that moment that before we siege our next opportunity in God, that we remember we're not little George Jeffersons or Saul's who build monuments to ourselves. We only build monuments to our God. Are you with me so far? So bow to God's will and desire. Refuse to accept temptation to take the matter into your own hands and choose not to be affected by the lie of your enemy. And don't play around with your enemy. He's your enemy. I've got one last scripture, but I want to make that point. He's your enemy. 
Stop playing with your enemy. God can tell me what's going on. Stop playing. He's your enemy. Why does he bring you into the closet to kill you? He wants you to die in a lost and undone condition. He wants you to die miserable and lonely and a failure when Christ wants to exalt you and give you a life full of his goodness. Stand to your feet. Matthew eleven twelve says the kingdom suffers violence and the violent, the violent tuck their tail, run into the corner, suck their thumb and cry, right? No. The kingdom suffers violence. Guess who the kingdom is? Jesus brought it, and the kingdom is here, and we live by the kingdom principle. For the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It lives on the inside of you. The kingdom, you're already adopted into the kingdom. That's why playing around with all this little something-something on the side is destroying the kingdom. You're muddying the waters of the kingdom. It lives in you, and Christ is ready for the kingdom to be untainted. He's ready to return, and he's looking for a remnant who will rise up in the time of social unrest and difficulty and heartache and pain. He's looking for someone who will rise up and untangle all of the things that we have muddied up in society and especially in the church. He is calling us and looking for a group who will stand up in the judicial halls of our governmental agencies and say, here's the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This is the truth. And we are the people he has called for this hour. Father, I thank you today for your message. I thank you for the truth of this message. I thank you, Father, for the courage to preach it with an uncompromised spirit. I thank you, God, that this word, Father, will get to the heart. And I pray, Father, that it will indel. That it isn't about the delivery. It isn't about the person who delivered it. It's about the word. That it will get down deep within us and begin to deliver us and change us into the likeness and the image of Christ in the fullness. That, Father, we will bow and resist. That we will submit and resist. Father, that we'll let nothing be dumped on our ground except the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is our heart. That is our heart. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.